You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. We're talking about family finances today, budgeting, saving, spending, all those things that worry us and maybe put us at odds with our parenting partner. Stay tuned. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Thanks for being our listeners, and thanks for supporting our sponsors. Family finances can be a contentious topic for many families. There are lots of ways to approach family finances. Here's a few approaches that I took in my early days of marriage and family, which might sound familiar to you. Bury your head in the sand and don't think about money until circumstances force you to. Or meet with your hubby and create a budget, which lasts just about as long as a New Year's resolution. Or think, I can't do the math, so how can I possibly know how much to save and how much to spend? Or, and full disclosure, this was a major factor in my own divorce, be on different pages about money so that you can argue about the same things over and over again. I spend too much, he says. He saves too much, I say. So... Enter Carly Hill, the debt-free mom. She is the mom of four and has been helping families budget and save since 2017. What I want to know, Carly, is where were you 40 years ago? Well, I was just a thought at the time, but I'm here now (laughs) and I'm happy to be here. So great to have you and uh, looking forward to this conversation about budgeting and finances. So Always, I'm curious, like, how did you get into this Yeah, so I have a very roundabout way of arriving at doing this for my job now. So in college, my very first year, I thought for sure I wanted to be an accountant. I went to the University of Illinois as a freshman in their College of Business, which is a very big, very um, competitive College of Business. I thought for sure, like, you know, this, this was my path. This is what I was doing. Uh, lo and behold, one year there, I was like, I love accounting and I love numbers. I don't know if this is the crew that is for me, if this is the school that is for me. I envisioned myself being a mom and honestly being a stay-at-home mom um, in my adulthood. And so I wanted to study accounting in a way that could fit well into a family life as well. And I 
very quickly realized I was at a school where uh, when they showed up, they knew what big accounting firm they wanted to be at and what mm -hmm. partner track they wanted to be on. So I was just kind of in a group that had a different uh, vision for their life than I did. And so during my freshman year, even though I was declared as an accounting major, I went and met with um, advisors who are for students who are undeclared and kind of said, hey, I feel more undeclared right now. I feel like I'm changing my mind. I figured out, I, I kind of uh, talked to her about different career paths. Uh, my youngest brother has Down syndrome. I'm the oldest of five and my youngest brother has Down syndrome. So she was kind of talking me through different interests, different life experiences. Um, and I actually landed on special education as the thing that I wanted to switch mm -hmm. to. So I ended up transferring from the University of Illinois to Illinois State University because they're very well known for their teaching school took that path fully, you know, kind of immersed myself in the teaching world instead. So what I ended up studying was how to take students who need to learn really important things that will impact their life and help them learn it in a way that is not what works for everyone, but is in a way that works for them by making it motivational, by making it clear, by making it something that they're interested in. Um, and that's what I did with elementary students for a couple years. I think when, I see how you're going to pull this back to accounting and yes, money. Yes, and money. Yes. So I actually love that I had that one year where I studied accounting and loved the numbers, but didn't love the career path because now... As a stay-at-home mom, I was not in the teaching world anymore, but I wanted to use my brain in a different way. I, I became a stay-at-home mom, which was my dream, but then I was like, I, I love you know numbers and puzzles, and I'm really a thinker, an internal thinker, and I was like, I just need a little more balance in my life outside of the diapers and the, you know, the play dates and the nap schedules and all that stuff. So what I did was start an Instagram account for family finances because I was really passionate about figuring out ways for if moms were interested in having a different work schedule than they currently had, and they felt like finances were the one thing holding them back. Mm. I was like, I can help those women. I can talk to those women. I am a huge advocate of women working. I work right now pretty much full time. My niche was not in trying to make everyone be a stay-at-home mom. It was in the moms who wanted to have a different work schedule, but felt like what they wanted was not achievable because of finances. You know, mm -hmm. such a such a good point. I'm thinking about accountants and I'm thinking about the big accounting firms. I have a brother who is an accountant, right? And I mean, even as even as a guy at a certain point, he's like, uh, this doesn't fit my family life. Mm -hmm. Certainly accountants, financial advice, super important for businesses. And Parents, women, moms, people who don't own big companies also mm -hmm. need financial advice. It's not as available. Yes. And that's yes. what I was finding too at the time. Uh, so I just had my third baby when I became fully a stay-at-home mom. I had a few part-time jobs. And what I was finding was there is all kinds of financial advice and people go after you when you have a lot of wealth how to how to make e how to make it even better how to grow it even larger but there wasn't a lot of advice for the people who didn't yet have the wealth like mm -hmm. where i was just finding where was the where was the advice for kind of the 
the small most money. Of us. Most yeah. of us. Yes. The day-to-day stuff of how do I make the little money choices that I'm making, you know, as I'm going to Target and as I'm ordering groceries, how does that actually fit in the bigger picture of being able to even get to the point where I would then later need a financial advisor? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I did. And what I found was so well blended was my my personal interest in numbers and money combined with my training as a teacher who could say, this is a skill that's very important to everyone. Some people have more trouble with it than others. What I am now skilled in is saying, I think this is important for you. So I'm going to find an unconventional way to make this interesting to you so that you can find success. Because that's what special education was all about, was saying Mm -hmm. the, the broad path that works for most people isn't working for my student and I care about my student. So I'm going to find a way to teach them this skill because I think they need it. And now that's what I do with budgeting too, is that some people just say, like you said at the beginning, Janet, I would rather ignore it, right? I would rather not even look at my money, talk about my money because it's just too overwhelming. And that's a feeling I'm super familiar with. I'm recognizing that feeling and I'm saying, hey, I know how to make this something that is broken down into pieces that feel manageable, that motivates you and that can even possibly feel fun. Wow. Fun. That money. seems a bit much, mm. but I'm willing to listen. Yes. I like a challenge. <laughs> yeah. And before we kind of dive in really into that aspect, I will also want to acknowledge, like, I don't know about you, Jen, but my parents never talked about money. Not a subject that we ever heard. I mean, I remember my mom balancing her checkbook. That was always like, I'm going to balance it to the penny. That was it as far as money in my family. Another thing that we need to acknowledge is that even if we had conversations about money, right now is radically different from then. My Mm -hmm. dad was able to get a loan for his business by calling up a banker in our Mm -hmm. small town on a Saturday after hours and doing like a handshake promise thing, Mm -hmm. right? So what he thinks about how things should work just does not work in today's world. So even if you may have gotten um, some budgeting lessons or money, whatever you learned might not work in today's environment. Is Mm -hmm. that something you see as well, Carly? Yeah, for sure. Especially because we assume, you know, our our parents are older and wiser and more experienced than us. And so what they advise us to do is wise and is what we should do. But like you said, unlike parenting, you know, there's some timeless parenting truths where it's like, yes, I listened to my mom about babies and parenting and stuff because she raised five kids and the human baby does not change, you know, from 20 years ago to now. (laughs) But Unlike parenting, it is a the environment in which we are managing our finances is radically different from even 15, 20 years ago, let alone talking about, you know, someone who was, you know, a post-World War II, where, you know, like those that mentality of like you should have your savings in cash and it should be under your mattress and you know, all those (laughs) kind of things that trickles down and it just doesn't apply, but we feel like it should. And so sometimes we get stuck taking, you know, 1970 advice and trying to apply it to a 2024 financial world. I feel like the the one piece of financial advice that perhaps has remained the same, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, this general principle of spending less than you make, generally speaking, 
that seems sound. And I believe that's where this idea of budgeting comes in to help us yes, with that. Yes. I call this the gap between our income and expenses. And mm. we really have to be familiar with what it is, how much it is, and what we're going to do with it. Because any financial goal that we have, no matter what it is, no matter what the timeline is, it's all going to be driven by the gap between our income and our expenses. Whatever our set expenses are and whatever our income is, whatever larger goal we have happens by using the gap between our income and expenses. So yes, that is certainly a, I would call that a timeless financial principle of you have to have something left over because that's the only way to make forward momentum. We can't make forward momentum with money we don't have when we owe people more than we're bringing in. And it just got challenging, right, Janet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking about our listeners as I always do, like, how is this landing for them? And, and, um, I can imagine maybe a little uh, elevated heart rate. Are you For curious sure. a little bit? I'm thinking about myself. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be 100% real and honest. Listeners, longtime listeners, you know I'm not raising little kids anymore. Big kids eat a lot of food, number one. Uh, groceries have gone up tremendously. I used mm -hmm. to be able to get out of the grocery store. Like, I could buy a lot of groceries for $100. I am routinely hitting three hundred dollars mm -hmm. now. I mean, it is totally a myth that kids are expensive when they're, you know, they're like, oh, you know, once we get out of diapers, once we get out of formula, it'll all get so much more affordable. And I'm my oldest is only nine, and I'm already looking at, you know, the moms who have the babies, and I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't get more affordable when they get older. It gets more expensive. Yes. Yeah. So how do we do this when we we can all very easily see? Like mm -hmm. the expenses aren't stopping. And yep. most of us, like the income is not increasing commensurate to the expenses. Where do we start? Yeah. So one of the most important things is to think about our perspective. So when we start to get overwhelmed, our brain naturally goes really far and wide. We start thinking about all the things we've done in the past that would now we're like, oh, maybe that was a mistake. And we also start thinking way into the future. So what I see when I recognize that someone is overwhelmed to an unhelpful point is when they start mentioning things that happened a long time ago and also start mentioning things that are 30 years from now where they're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm 27. How am I supposed to retire? And I'm like, that's, you know, a far way away. So what we want to do first, if for people who are feeling overwhelmed is we really have to ground ourselves in reality in a short window. We need to really bring our scope in. So one of the first things I say is we have to, and this is borrowed from honestly, a therapy principle is we have to radically accept what already happened. So I cannot go back and unborrow the money that I borrowed, right? I cannot go back and go to a different college. So we're going to radically accept whatever the numbers are. And part of that is the painful, but, but very brief task of looking at our real numbers. What do I actually have in savings? What do I actually owe on my car, on my student loans? What are those real numbers? Because a lot of times, so that is part of that radical acceptance. And a lot of times it actually ends up being a lot less negative than we think it is. Because again, just like our brains like to go in this perspective of way in the past and way in the future when we're overwhelmed, it also likes to do a really bad job of estimating. So yeah. what happens is we're like, oh, my finances are terrible. I, I just, I got to go get a part-time job. It's so overwhelming. It's too much. And we have no actual numbers to know what the, what is the actual deficit that we're working at? What are the actual payments? 
And a lot of times when we can ground ourselves back in reality and say, number one, I'm going to radically accept what already happened because it's wasted energy to, to, to wish that something different had happened in the past. And number two, I'm going to become fully aware of what those actual numbers are because I can only solve real problems. I can't solve <laughs> problems that I perceive but I can solve real problems. And so that's one of the big things I help people do is say, you know, I'm going to come alongside you and we're going to look at your real numbers because I can help you, but I can't help you with imaginary numbers. So we're first going to look at the real numbers. Janet, how familiar does this sound? We are not financial experts. Don't make any claim to be. But how many times have we told our overwhelmed moms who are forward projecting to my son is going to be on the couch. He's going to be a loser in my basement because he didn't turn in his homework in fifth grade. It's the same thing. And we tell them the same thing. Whoa, 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 whoa. You shh. don't yep. do that. Come back here. Deal mm -hmm. with now. Good advice so far. Dealing with the here and now. More advice to come after these messages from our sponsors. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits, and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out, and you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin and I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no, and they taste good and they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash envoys. 
That's try, T-R-Y, dot, easy melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S, dot com, forward slash, on boys. It's so true because, I mean, unfortunately, part of that, you know, that is self-preservation. That is something that is hardwired in our brain in a good way to kind of survive, basically. Yeah. But what happens is we then, if we get in that mode for a very short amount of time, we have that survival adrenaline. But then if we don't learn to turn it off, then we start applying that to things it doesn't need to be applied to. And so in that overwhelming sense of my finances feel out of control, I'm going to try to safeguard myself by blinders on to whatever's currently happening while simultaneously thinking about three decades from now, we just send ourselves into a tailspin and it really is counteractive to any sort of problem solving that we would be able to come up with. A lot of wasted energy wasted emotion. You lose sleep, Janet. I know you you can relate to this. I see it on yeah. your face. And, you know, beating ourselves up for, oh my yep. gosh, I can't believe I did that or I spent that. Or so I love your perspective of like, let that go. That money's yep. already spent mm-hmm. and start right here and, and now. Yes, for sure. And it's just so helpful sometimes. And, you know, I think in theory, we all kind of know that. And especially women are very good at telling other women that, you know, if they see a friend who's doing that, they're like, let it go. It's okay. But then they look at their own stuff and they don't apply that same principle to themselves. Mm -hmm. And so if we can just turn that same message back onto ourselves and say, what already happened happened. And so I'm going to move forward. You know, think of ourselves as a friend of our own mind instead of just a friend to other women and say, what do I need to hear right now so that I can actually move forward? Because like you said, what has happened has happened. And, you know, if I had a friend who was, you know, came to me and was super upset about something that happened 10 years ago, that's what we would all say, right? We would say it's in the past, let's move forward. And so we need to apply that to our ourselves as well. So I'm going to guess the first step, of course, is find, you know, figuring out what you've got in savings, debt, all of that. And I'm going to guess putting this on a spreadsheet is the best way to go about it. Which so yeah, of- so there's lots of different ways. Yeah, you and- lost me already on spreadsheet. There's no way I'm doing this with spreadsheet, Carly. Exactly, yeah. Jen. My eyes there, are blazing over spreadsheet. There are lots of different ways. So this kind of goes back to that that idea that I had said with the my training in special education. What we did was we never held any method tightly. It didn't matter what the method was. It mattered what the outcome was. Yes. So I didn't care what book I used. I didn't care if my kid was standing, laying down, sitting on a bouncy ball. I didn't care the method as long as we arrived at the goal we were trying to achieve. So I don't care what the budget is. I don't care if it's on, you know, a pink pad of paper that's magnet on your fridge. I don't care if it's a spreadsheet, if it's an app, that's not the thing. Another thing I like to say, when people say, I don't like budgeting, I often tell them, I don't really like budgeting either because the budget is not something we do for the sake of budgeting. There's no prize just for budgeting. A budget is a tool to achieve some other goal. So I don't think everybody should budget just so that they can say, I'm on a budget. A budget is simply a plan, a way to arrive at an outcome that is not going to happen by accident. I so like that supposed- plan idea because yep. in our culture, especially budget and diet have very similar Ooh. connotations, right? Yep. And it's what I can't have, what yep. I can't do. But if I have a 
training plan Mm -hmm. because I want to run a marathon or do a try, or I want to write a book. I mean, whatever a plan is, is more about what I do to get where I want to go. Yeah. And so I, I mean, if, if people have a a hang up on that word, scrap the word, do not call it a budget, call it a money plan. Cause as soon as we ask that, you know, if I asked anybody, should you wing it with your finances or should you plan it out in advance? Everybody would say, oh, you should plan it. Right. You should have a plan. Just like, you know, as moms, like we're excellent at planning out, like before we go on a vacation, we have lists for everything and we have a suitcase for everything. And we're not just going to like go about our normal life for a week and then wake up at 5am and leave for Disney world right? Like we're not going to do that because that would stress us, right? We would want to have a plan. We're like, no, we need a plan. I need to think about it in advance. I can't just wing it. I'm going to forget something. And so we just need to apply that same kind of the more I plan in advance, the better the outcome is. We need to apply that same thing to our money. So So back to your question, Janet, about what do we do after we become aware of what's in our finances? What I don't actually want people to do is jump into making a budget because what we do is we swing from one extreme to another. (laughs) So we go from, I have no idea what's going on with my money to my money feels terrible. My payments feel high. I'm going to put myself on a budget, which means most people, when they say that, they mean I'm going to cut out everything fun. And like you said at the very beginning, very top of the episode, it lasts about as long as a New Year's resolution does. So what we instead want to do is ask ourselves, what am I trying to achieve? What is the actual purpose of this budget? What goal am I trying to move forward that hasn't yet happened because I was not planning ahead? And what can I do so that I can achieve those goals? So there's a few goals um, that I always recommend to put in order and have people apply to their own situation. This is not going to perfectly fit into everybody's mold of what their situation is, but this is a framework. So number one, and this is a goal people often skip over and assume is happening. I make goal number one, consistently spend less than you make. So a lot of times, if you think, if you read a book about money, if you look up, if you Google, what should I be doing with my money? All of those resources are assuming that you have extra money to use. So they're going to tell you things like, they're going to be like, you know, save a month of expenses and and pay off your debt and buy a car in cash and pay for a house. And, And all of those goals are assuming that there is already a positive gap between our income and expenses and that we know how to use it. So I like to take a step back. We can call it step zero if we want to, but we have to be consistently spending less than we make in order to achieve any of the goals after that. So sometimes that is something that people just need permission to do. I need permission to not try to put money in savings, to not try to pay off my debt, to take three to six months just to figure out how to consistently spend less than I make and have that be the only thing I'm focused on. So that Mm -hmm. is always what I tell people is goal number one, which again, is just permission to slow down. We don't need to go from one extreme to another of, you know, somehow magically, I'm going to go from overspending $1,000 a month to next month, putting $1,000 in savings. Well, what is the, what's the A to B of that? Like, how is that going to happen? So here is where goal one gets challenging for a lot of people, you know, yes, spend less than you make. And then you run into this often ubiquitous, stupid advice, just stop getting a Starbucks every day on the way to work. And you're like, I don't drink Starbucks. I'm not Mm -hmm. having my $7 coffee. I'm already, you know? Um, So how do you help people uh, figure that part out if that's a struggle? 
Yeah, for sure. So one thing to think about in the, so it's the pursuit of growing the gap between our income and expenses, right? Um, one thing to think about in that is our circle of influence. So this is Stephen Covey's seven habits of mm -hmm. highly effective people. We have a, we have things that are inside our circle of influence and things that are outside our circle of influence. So a lot of people, especially women, spend a lot of time talking about expense-related things that are outside their circle of influence, like the cost of groceries. Groceries. So we can control to a certain extent our our meal planning and which snacks we buy and things like that to a certain extent. But I cannot decide what the prices are at Aldi. And I also can't decide if they're going to go up or down next week. So that is outside of my circle of influence. So that is another thing that radical acceptance of I there are things I can control, like how much I'm, you know, how quick I am to press buy now on Amazon. I can control if I'm going to buy my kids clothing used or new. I can control if the couch is actually broken and needs to be replaced or if I'm just discontent with it. Yeah. Those are things I can control and I need to focus on what's inside my circle of influence, not what's outside. And so that's another thing that when we talk about growing the gap between our income and expenses, another thing is, you know, right now with um, now inflation, the rate of inflation has slowed down, but expenses are not coming down. Mm -hmm. And so that's what so frustrating. Is, I saw that story too. I'm like, really? <laughs> yep. And, and that, I think that's a misconception when people say inflation is slowing down, they assume that means prices are coming down. That's not what that means. So inflation is how quickly the prices are going up. So if they say inflation is coming down, it's like going from 50 miles an hour to 30 miles an hour. The rate of the prices going up has slowed down. Um, but the, that's different than the prices coming down. But what that means is I know in my family, like we've had to accept that, that is going to be a reality in the short term, and I cannot control the economy of the United States. So what can I control? Can I increase my income uh, through an extra part-time job? That is something that has been, I know people are super resistant to that in a short, in a very short window of time, working a little bit extra for a short window of time can completely change the entire trajectory of your finances for the rest of your life. I've experienced that in spades in my life. Um, and so, and that's inside of my circle of influence, right? I've done that when I had, you know, when I had babies, when I didn't have babies, Kyle's done. My husband has worked a full-time job with a part-time job on the side in order to get us to a point where now neither of us work 40 hours a week um, because we've built this, we've specifically had a goal in mind. But at the same time, we know that none of that is permanent. So right now we don't work 40 hours a week. If inflation kept going, we would have to shift because inflation's outside of my circle of influence, but how I work and where I work is inside of my circle of influence. And we might need to change some of those things. So for people who are feeling like, there is no gap between my income and expenses. And I feel stuck in terms of I can't make expenses go down and I can't make an income go up. We're often less stuck than we feel like we are, but sometimes we're too close to our own situation to see an alternative path. Mm -hmm. And I know that happens in parenting all the time, right? We're like, mm -hmm. won't do what I want him to do. And there's no other option. I have to yell at him or I have mm -hmm. to take away his Nintendo switch. Right. And you guys know as experts with outside perspective, when we're not emotionally attached to that situation, we can usually come up with a few other alternatives 
that the the person who's just too close to it can't see. And it's not their fault. I mean, that's what we all experience, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I try to help people with is, okay, you you don't feel like there is a way to to increase income or decrease expenses, but I would love to offer you some alternatives to at least think of, at least have it on the table and have a conversation about it. Because sometimes we're just too close to our own situation to identify what those alternative better options might be. Are you already thinking about your plan more on that after these messages from our sponsors. I like what you said too about, um, you know, you're talking about you and your husband and you each did do some part-time jobs for a while for a time. Yep. When you look at this as a plan, it's not, I can never do this again, or I need to always do this. You're talking about deliberately choosing and implementing strategies for now, for a period yep. of time that makes sense to get somewhere, then you reevaluate. Right. right. And one of the best things to do when you're talking about temporarily changing something, um, there's two things. Number one, I, I'm sure people have heard this before, but it's the idea of choose your hard, right? Like it is hard to be in debt and be scared about how you're going to pay, make those payments. It's hard to have a collections letter come in your mailbox. It's hard to have to tell your kids we're not going on vacation. So those things aren't easy. Those things are hard. So it is hard to add some extra hours, do one overtime shift a week. It is hard to start saying no to things you said yes to, but it's not that I think we falsely have this idea that one side is easy and one side is hard. And I'm sad that I have to choose the hard option. They're actually both hard, but one of them produces a benefit in the future. And one of them actually mm. makes the future even harder. Mm. Mm. That's a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, you know, that, and that is definitely, that's a swimming upstream mentality from what much of, especially much of the Western world believes right now. We think run away from hard. If it is difficult, walk away, quit the job that doesn't bring you happiness. Like those are some things that are big themes. And what I like to do, especially for those part-time jobs, I mean, I think about the part-time jobs I did while having kids. I was an administrative assistant for a very short period of time. I tutored for a while. I cleaned houses. Cleaning houses is absolutely not and never going to be my passion in life, right? Mm -hmm. But it opened some big, big doors that were closed if I did not do that. And so I I think seeing just like having to let go of the word budget and instead see it as a tool, sometimes we can see Mm. these things that are temporarily difficult as a tool. Say, I'm going to use this thing that I don't temporarily love in order to open a big door that I am interested in. Um, And when we start to see what what we're gaining by temporarily doing something we don't love, it becomes a lot easier to do. You know, it becomes so having those clear clear goals and clear incentives is very, very important. That's why I said, do not budget for the sake of budgeting because no one's going to do that long-term because it has no internal incentive behind it at all. It only feels difficult. But if we instead say, okay, my goals are to save up a month of expenses so that every time a unexpected expense happens, it's an inconvenience instead of a crisis. 
that's something that people are interested in, right? Like as soon as we talk in those terms, it's like, Ooh, I'm interested. I want that. I want, I want the dead car battery to be an inconvenience, not a crisis. Right. And so it's like the means to get there is having enough in savings that we can handle that. And then we say, I I don't want all of my hard earned take home pay to keep going to all of these debt payments and all this interest. The bank is making more money off of my salary than I am. We say, okay, I, I agree. You want that. Let's make a plan to pay off your debt so that you keep your paycheck. You earned your paycheck. Let's not let the bank profit at 24% interest off of your job. Let's have you profit off of your job. People want that. And so we say the means to get there is to come up with a plan for paying off the debt. So it's we definitely have to leverage the idea of incentive. Why am I doing this? What is the actual long-term reason? And once we clarify why we're doing it and keep it in our minds, I mean, I tell people, I'm like, if you really, really, really don't like the idea of having debt, but you're also not interested, you're like the the idea of making extra payments on my debt feels even worse. Come up with an incentive like when I pay off my credit card debt, we're going to pause doing any extra goals and we're going to go on a vacation. Decide what that vacation is. Decide where you're going. Put that picture as your background on your phone and then have this physical reminder of the reason that you're doing something. And those temporarily difficult tasks become a lot, a lot easier to swallow, I guess. So the big, 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 big challenge, Janet, I know you've experienced this, Families typically include more than one person. Mm-hmm. And they're usually and, different. And uh, so it's one thing if I decide I'm going to tackle this. Here's my goal. You add in even one other person. And and how does that go, Janet? Well, I've been divorced for 15 years because it didn't go well. Yep. And it's one of the number one reasons, you know, finances are listed as one of the top yeah. reasons that people get divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a home... Every adult needs independence and incentive inside of their finances. And those two things are going to look different for different adults. So I'll say it again, independence, something that is not attached to the other adult and incentive, something that is motivating to them, that gives them the drive to do some of these things that are less interesting. And they're not going to be the same for each person. So generally speaking, opposites do tend to attract. So in a couple that's managing joint finances, there tends to be a more saving. And that, wait, I want to be clear there for a minute, because this joint finances thing is a term mm-hmm. that can get some people. Even if you do not have joint bank accounts, you don't have all right. your money in joint bank accounts. If you are connected, whether you're sharing a house, an apartment or children, it's joint. What's happening yeah. to you is affecting the other right. person. Right. Because even so, even if people don't have joint bank accounts, the reason they don't have that is because they have some sort of arrangement about how they're splitting the finances, yeah. how they're dividing the bills. And that's still a joint arrangement, right? That's exactly. still a mutual decision about how, like you said, how the house will be shared, how the groceries will be shared, um, how the, you know, when we go on a trip, where is it coming from? So even if the bank accounts are not joint, it's still a uh, mutual decision of some kind about what the division of responsibility is going to be. And so inside of that, I would say there are more decisions and more complications inside of a home that tries to perfectly divide their finances than there are in a home that has joint finances. There's reasons for both and there's preferences for both, but just objectively speaking, there tends to be more continual decisions and conversations that have to be made if you're trying to divide them than if they are joint. Let's say um, I'm 
I'm a person, I'm like, yeah, we got to get this under control. We got to look at these numbers. We we have things we have to work towards. Too much of our money is going to the bank. And my husband, and this is such a stereotypical example, and this is not my case, but, you know, he wants a bass boat. He wants a cabin up north. Like, that's what his goal is. Independence and incentive. How do you do it in that uh, situation? Yeah. So one of the things I love to do, I used to uh, do coaching calls on a Zoom call with clients. And 99.9% of the time, it was a woman. And I absolutely, my favorite calls were when I could see the husband lurking in the background, kind of, <laughs> kind of listening, but like, didn't want to be interested. Right. And then the more I talked, the closer he would come. <laughs> and every time they would decide to sit down, I was like, yes, I got, got them because that is totally true is the idea that we're going to clean up our money uh, in a couple, there tends to be a saver and a spender, right? Mm. One person who is more prone, more risk averse. And so they want money and savings. And one person who is YOLO, like if we don't spend it now, we're not living, right? And so these people tend to be in one couple and then they have these uh, combating personalities, combating priorities. So for example, the guy who has all the hobbies, but they also have all these payments. What I, what I like to say is you could have even more hobbies. If you did not have debt, you could have more money available for this. If you took a very, very short amount of time to first clean up what happened in the past, buying a boat, for example, all boat purchases are not the same. There are very unwise ways to purchase a boat and there are very wise ways to purchase a boat. And there are ways to purchase a boat that is hard on your marriage and difficult on your financial future. And there are ways to buy a boat that are not hard on your marriage and that don't take away from your financial future. So the way in which we go about these is what matters. And by cleaning up what the current situation is, we at, we open doors. And so that's the thing I like to tell people all the time is I want to open financial doors for you. And there's a few things we need to do first in order to get those doors to be open. So for the person who wants all of those hobbies and wants the options, a lot of times what needs to be expressed, but is sometimes not spoken is that they have all the hobbies. They have all the toys. Their garage is full of the jet ski and the truck and the trailer because one thing cascades into the other and there's never just one. And what happens is that person might love being on the lake, but then they come home and they spend a month being very stressed about their financial situation <laughs> and feeling like they have to work constantly in order for that one weekend a month on the lake. And I, I tell them, I'm like, I promise there are actually ways to enjoy the lake and enjoy being at home and not have that stress. And so it is challenging in a couple when you have one person that's like, yep, let's clean this up. I want to put money in savings. And one person who is naturally prone to pull away from any sort of boundary or restriction at all. And so we really have to, the more they're resistant to it, the more we need to lean into clarifying what becomes available to them, what doors get open to them by doing this. Um, and so a lot of times couples, or, you know, a woman will come to me and be stressed and say, I keep making a budget and my husband doesn't stick to it. And I say, like, what incentive does he have to stick to it? And a lot of times they can't come up with a reason. There's not, there is no incentive to stick to it. So I'm like, you know what? I actually wouldn't stick to that either. And sometimes that's what we need to realize is by bringing them in and showing them what options can increase, then they can start to say like, oh, 
okay, if I do, if, you know, if we make these changes for six months, then that thing that I thought was totally out of reach becomes in reach. And so it is difficult. It is challenging, but it, it really does take positioning the motivating factor, whatever, you know, dangle the carrot of this is the thing that you're saying that you want, that you don't think at our salary we could ever afford. If we do X, Y, and Z, we can afford that in five years instead of 25 years. I still wonder about walking into Target Mm -hmm. and I kind of lose my mind when I walk into Target because, oh, we need this. We need that. We have to have this thing. Talk to me at the threshold of Target, Carly. Yeah. So one thing to think about is that our, our kids experience that feeling all a lot more than we do actually all the time. And we're constantly almost exasperated by like, you just need to wait. Right. Like if, <laughs> if we're saying, you know, they're like, mom, 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 open this snack, open this snack. And you're doing something, you know, you're changing the baby's diaper or whatever. And you're like, can you just wait? Like nothing's bad. You know, I've told my boys that, that all the time, nothing bad is going to happen to you if you wait for five minutes. But we have in our heads, like if it's either now or never. And so if I don't do it now, something bad is going to happen. That's the feeling that they have, right? So in adulthood, we experience it in more palatable ways, but it's actually the exact same feeling. It's this feeling of I'm going to either miss out or be judged or have a slightly less enjoyable time than I would have if I bought this. Therefore, I must do, I must buy it. I must get it, right? Plus, also, if I don't buy it now when it's on sale, even though I don't really need it yet, if I wait until I need it, it's going to cost more. So I'm actually saving money by buying this thing that I saw at Target that I didn't know I needed until I saw it here in Target. Yep. So one thing about Target specifically is that I like to remind people and remind myself, they spend billions of dollars a year trying to figure out how people work, how their brains are wired in order to maximize how much we will spend in the store. Every single thing we see in Target is specifically designed with the sole intention of getting us to spend as much as we possibly can. And to be clear, we're not ripping on Target specifically. It's Target, it's Amazon, it's every single store you encounter. Because every, every corporation is designed to maximize profit. Like that is their goal. I I have, I own a business. Our goal is to maximize profit. Right. But what we don't realize is that they're so good at it, that it feels like our idea to buy that thing. Mm. So they're so good at creating this problem. We didn't know we had that we're like, target didn't tell me I needed to buy this. I decided that I need to buy this. And that is not the case. So what we, when we can recognize there might be a a factor outside of my own head that is helping me believe something that's actually not true, then we can start to say, okay, maybe, maybe target marketing is just really good today. And so I'm going to, I'm going to pull one over. Like I, I, that's another thing for me and everybody's wired differently. I am personally challenged. I'm very competitive against myself. And so the idea that I can walk in and like, you know, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to only buy what's on my list just to spite these marketing people. Right. (laughs) 
it's, it's actually fun. Like that is kind of a fun thing for me is to say they wanted me to buy things I didn't need. And, and I actually just bought what was on my list. Um, but okay, back to the threshold of target. So that is an important thing just to be aware of, right? Just, just having that idea in our head that I'm going to see things and I'm going to be drawn to buy them simply because somebody out there is really good at their job. And that's great. I'm glad that they're really good at their job, but it doesn't need to financially impact me. And so when we walk around and we do things like that, then we can recognize sometimes I do need to buy something and sometimes I don't need to buy something. So with the sales, for example, just like with marketing where they're doing that in order to maximize the the sales, when a Black Friday sale comes, when you get an email that says 50% off, the company is actually not incentivized to only do that once. They're going to do it once a month once every other mm-hmm. week. They're going to constantly bring the sales around because it profits them. It benefits them to bring that around. So in, I mean, I, again, I own a business, I run sales, I run things like that. There's two things that we look at is scarcity and urgency. How scarce can I make it feel? Cause someone will buy something if they feel like it's running out and how urgent can I make it? How, how much can I put them on a time crunch so that they have to make a decision? So that is, the scarcity and urgency, uh, those are the two main principles that get people off the fence in order to make a purchase. And so I can recognize, you know, and something that has helped me is now being in a business and trying to learn about some of these business principles is to look back and see all the times that I myself was influenced by these things. Uh, The urgency, like for example, the urgency of Black Friday. And so we buy or we don't buy. And then we immediately get an email and it's the urgency of Cyber Monday. That's just two days later. Right. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And then we, and so then we buy because it feels urgent. So recognizing that some, something can feel urgent or scarce without actually being urgent or scarce is a helpful thing in our purchasing, um, to recognize I, I can walk away from this and it will go on sale within the next two weeks, for example. The other thing is, you know, as we talk about recognizing ourselves, recognizing what we're prone to for a period of time, I decided I will not physically walk into Target. I will do drive ups. I will do online orders. I will, I will still shop at Target because they have the diapers I like and they have whatever, but I'm just for a short period of time, I'm going to decide, you know, a 30 day window where I'm going to give myself a reset button. I'm not going to say I'm never walking into Target again because I'm, I feel capable of learning how to wisely walk around Target. I just am not doing it yet. So I had a window of time where I was like, I will do drive ups and pickups and, and shipping orders. I will not physically walk into the store and nothing bad happened. Here I am all these years later, <laughs> right? Everything's fine. But we, we do feel like we're going to miss something. And sometimes we just need a little bit of a real world, physical, tangible experience that it was okay, that we walked yeah. away and it was fine. And, and sometimes we're just so caught up in the fear of missing out that we never even give ourselves the little bit of time to experience that real thing. Now I can say, you know, eight years later, after I've been consistently budgeting and figuring out what I wanted to do with my money, it does get easier because now, you know, even I hope people can hear in these conversations that I am like, oh, well, I've recognized that this is at play in my purchasing. And so I've changed my mind. That is not always how I was. And so I had to learn through these these small tangible experiences that helped me to see, okay, I, I can delete shopping apps off my phone the weekend of Black Friday, re-download them next next week. And like I said, nothing bad Whoa, happens. That's I a did really not good actually idea. miss anything. 
Yep. Mm -hmm. Delete the email app so that you're not getting, I mean, I have never received more emails than the weekend of Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Oh my gosh. Black Friday, uh, Small Business Saturday, uh, Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday. I have nothing left, people. Yep. Yeah. And so identifying like Janet, what you said, I'm on the threshold of target. Maybe we actually need to take that out of the box approach and say, maybe I need to not be on the threshold of target. Right. And so everybody has a different thing. If it's Amazon, um, one thing I like to uh, tell people is add it to your cart and decide one day a week that you're actually going to purchase. So you let the cart build up during the week. If you say, if you say Fridays are the day that I'm going to press order, a lot of times, if we look through that list of things, we're like, I don't even, I don't need that. Uh, that Why did I put that in the cart? But we have to give ourselves just a little bit of time between yeah. when we feel the urge to buy it and when we actually buy it. Because what we'll find is that we often change our minds or the moment passed, right? Like a lot of times, especially moms and when the kids are little, we operate out of so much stress because we're so overwhelmed that All we are grasping at straws. We're like, I will do anything to, to get them to nap, to get them to eat a vegetable. And so what we do is we often have these knee jerk purchases where we're like, oh, somebody on Instagram, some influencer told me that her kids eat broccoli because it's in this plate. I'm going to order four of them immediately. Right. Lo and Mm -hmm. behold, the kid does not eat broccoli. Right. Because we don't have the same kid. But we have those those strong urges to solve these problems as quickly as we can. And we sometimes convince ourselves that solving the problem is at any cost necessary is better than the financial mess that we already feel. Full confession, full confession. Obviously my kids are not my mate. I'm okay. They are my major stress, but my (laughs) stupid dog has been waking up in the middle of the night. And then at five 30, she wants to play and I don't want to. And I'm out with the dogs this morning, Carly. And I actually thought I'm like, you know, they have those self throwing dog toy things and they're <laughs> mm-hmm. hundreds of dollars like i can throw a ball for my dog but you know if i could send her outside at 5 30 in the morning and she would amuse herself it might be worth it yeah i get it like this is how yeah. your brain works i did not sure. put it in my amazon cart i don't think that's really the way to go but i considered yep. it yeah i mean i just did it this week we just transitioned ruby my daughter who's almost three from a crib to a toddler bed and the sleep is like non-existent, right? Like she is up and out and knocking yes. on the door and, and all that stuff. And I did it. I ordered a different kind of baby gate and I ordered the the dot the knob thing that, you know, like the adult yep. can open, but the kids can't. Um, it made it worse. She can't open the door, but now because she can't open the door, she pounds on the door instead of just calling out to us, right? And so it- My heart goes out to you. I had one of those and it was horrible. And, and you just want sleep. I mean, sleep is one of those things where it yeah. truly is genuinely, I will do anything to sleep, yeah. right? I think in this whole conversation is peer pressure as well. Yes. For yep. especially for young moms. I just want to tell young moms, like you don't need all that stuff. You yeah. absolutely don't need all that stuff. So mm-hmm. it's okay to go to the used clothing store because your child is going to wear that shirt for approximately two weeks before they yep. go out of it. And so I think there's also like that whole, you're talking the sphere of influence. It's like that whole world out there, all Instagram, social media telling you, you need this special plate to put the broccoli on and they'll yep. eat it. Then you're yeah. a good mom. Oh, exactly. Yeah. That will wash yeah. out. The Pinterest mom, else. the Pinterest crafts and the pancakes yes. that are in shapes and all that. Yeah. So too, along with everything you're saying, which is all so brilliant, it's okay to take a different path. 
it's okay yeah. to not have that sparkly new whatever stroller backpack all the things it's okay and we have yeah. to teach our kids too as they grow Mm-hmm. that actually it's okay not to have the latest, greatest thing, because that is also teaching them as they get older, I got to have that thing. If, mm-hmm. I, if I only have that thing, then I'm going to be okay. Or, yeah. you know, my friends will like me. So, I mean, this is such a complex arena. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes as we have kids, then we start to become a little more introspective and realize, oh, I have some thoughts about money and some behaviors around money that I don't want to pass on to them, right? Mm-hmm. Like that I'm I'm operating this way about every time I see a purchase, I go ahead and buy it. But I don't want I don't want them to do that. And I also I get frustrated when they say that they want me to do that, right? Like, oh, I came home from school and so and so has this video game. Can you order it? And I'm like, that's sixty dollars. I'm not ordering that, right? And so we get frustrated with them. But at the same time, if I'm honest with myself, I behave that way with my own money sometimes too. And so it can be a helpful realization of if I work on some of these, uh, mindsets that I have that I don't think are serving my family, that will not only benefit me, it will benefit my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reality is that of that, and, and in the moment it can again, be a hard pill to swallow, but if I want a different result than I have been getting, my life is gonna have to look different. Like the, you know, the, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I can't spend exactly the same way as I have been and expect it to suddenly result in a, a bank account that's full of cash and a retirement that's funded. That's just not well, how it's going to work. That is depressing. I know. <laughs> it, only if only it were true. If only I could be a budget genie instead of a budget assistant, well, right? Obviously, <laughs> but- money and fi- family finance, it is a big topic. It's a huge topic. It affects every aspect of our lives. It affects us every day, whether we choose to think about it consciously or not. Um, Carly, you have your own podcast. Tell us about that because people are going to want to hear more, I think. Yeah. So it's called the Debt-Free Mom Podcast. And what we do is we have a wide variety between interviewing other experts. That's actually what we do the least often. The most frequently thing, most frequent type of episode we have is a someone who is a follower either on Instagram or a listener on the podcast who wants to talk about something that they're currently going through with their finances. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can dialogue together. We can problem solve. Uh, like I said before, we can have those out um, those other perspectives so that yeah. we can say, Hey, have you tried this before? Uh, because what I know to be true is that whatever struggle or problem they're having, someone else is also having Absolutely. that. And so that's what the podcast does is I have women come on and share things. Like I said, sometimes it's success stories where they're going to share something that happened that is a positive. Um, and occasionally it'll be a standalone episode of myself or of another expert, but the bulk of what we do is just have uh, normal women, just like me and you come on and express something that they are working through and that we can work through together with their finances so that they can achieve those things that they're looking for. So yeah, it's called the Debt-Free Mom Podcast, and it's anywhere you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. And I just followed Carly on Instagram at Debt-Free Mom. You can find her there too. Thank you so much for joining us today. You have made this uh, sound doable, sound, uh, I'm not all the way to fun, but exciting, exciting. What do you think, Janet? 
Exciting and interesting and definitely a different perspective that I think can be so valuable. So thank you for all you're doing in the world to help us move towards, you know, more relaxed parenting mm-hmm. and mm. oh, just feeling better about our future and feeling more secure. So thank you, Carly, so much for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And my hope is that when people listen, it's not that they go and today all of their problems are solved. My hope is to plant a little bug in their ear that like maybe there is a different way that would feel better and that is manageable again, inside my circle of influence in whatever kids I have job I have, that there would be a path forward. Listeners, this may be an episode you want to save and listen to it again. This was jam packed with the great insights, and ideas. This is the On Voice Parenting Podcast, and we are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Thanks always for being our listeners and supporting our sponsors. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.